Hello, and welcome back to Gabe Talks About Things, the podcast where I'm your host, Gabe, and I talk about topics that you suggest. Today, we're going to be looking at Tolkien Part 2. Today, we're going to be looking at the history of Middle-earth and the world that Tolkien built. Thanks for watching, or listening, I suppose. The thing to understand when you're studying Tolkien uh, is that he never left precise records. Um, most of the things we know outside of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings were written because, or were written in notes and records that he had made and were pieced together after his death by his son Christopher and some of his editors and publishers into complete works such as the Silmarillion, which is the main novel from which I'll be taking, you know, the explanation from today. If you're a bit confused about what I'm talking about, last, or two episodes, not the second episode I did, I talked about why Tolkien, in my opinion, is one of the greatest authors of the English language. I talked about the world he created, or how he created the world he created. Today I'm going to be talking about the history, or the fictional history, of Middle-earth, the world he created, and why it is such an example of good world building. In the beginning of Tolkien's world, there was one, and his name was Eru Iluvatar, which in the name of the Elvish, or the, in, the, in the Elvish language, means the one who is alone. Eru was alone in the beginning, and there was nothing but him. He created 13 different, uh, I'm going to cut that. I'm going to cut that. I'm going to delete this. I'm going to restart. In the beginning, there was one, Eru. He was the one who was alone at the beginning of the universe and is analogous to God. He creates a group of 13 people called the Ainur to sing with him. They are his direct creations and children. The Ainur cannot do anything without the approval and empowerment of Eru. They are powerless without the approval of Eru to create. There were 13 Ainur in the beginning, but one named Melkor decided that he would rebel. Eru taught all of his children to sing, and together they sang into existence the universe. All 13 Ainur and Eru together all sang, and all the Ainur followed the melody that Eru sang, and that they all sang in harmony with one another, and it was good, and their singing created the universe as we know it, or at least in Middle-earth. What eventually happened was Eru decided he wanted to create his own melody. And he sang his own song that was in disharmony with the song of the others. This created extreme disharmony. And after three times of doing this, the singing ceased. Melkor was seen as brash and irresponsible for wanting to create something that was not aligned with the perfect will of Eru. And so he was shamed for it and it filled his heart with scorn for the rest of eternity. The world was eventually populated by elves and men, 
due to the stigging of the Ainur, but much happened before the time of Elves and Men. And the Ainur, now there being twelve, because Melkor was not counted among them anymore, knew that the time of Elves was coming, and they had much work to do to prepare the world for the Elves. So all thirteen Ainur descended into the world and left the realm beyond time and space into the universe of Ea, which is the physical realm. They descended into the world and set upon their tasks of preparing the world for the elves and later the coming of men. Ainur who live in the world are named the Valar now. They're, not, they're called the Valar and there are 12 Valar, Valar. Melkor is not counted as a Valar because of his wicked deeds. The Valar all have their own specialties and special abilities. Orome is a hunter. Yavanna is the goddess of the earth. They all have different capabilities and characteristics, but they're all led by Manwe, who was the most powerful of the Ainur, or the Ainur, and he was in he was the most in accordance with the will of Eru. He was equal to Melkor in strength, and they were seen as brothers. Uh, as well as the Valar, there were powerful spirits called the Maiar, who were lesser spirits and were essentially, I guess you could call them angels. They were the servants of the Valar. Melkor became known as Morgoth because he was seen as a foe, and Morgoth in the elvish tongue meant black foe, or the black foe of the world. He was separate from the other Valar and wished to use his power to control and contort the goodness made by the others using his darkness. Whenever the Valar would create something, Melkor would destroy it. Whenever they would raise a mountain, he would level it. Whenever they tried to create a river, he would flood the land. They, little by little, fought back and forth over the terrain, which would change constantly, and it ended with Melkor being locked up eventually. The dwarves came into being at around this time. The dwarves were created by one of the Valar named Aule. Aule was a smith and the god of crafts, and he created forging and the making of tools and instruments. He was the god of handiwork. Aule grew lonely and wanted somebody to teach the craft of handiwork too. So he fashioned seven people out of clay. But during this time, with Melkor destroying the world, he wanted them to be hardy and strong so they could withstand all the attacks of Melkor. So he made them stout, made them to live very long lives, made them strong, and made them to live under the ground. These people were called the dwarves. But when Eru found out that Aule had made life without his permission and order to do so when he found out he had made them independently he scorned Aule and Aule threatened or Aule was willing to destroy his creation of the dwarves but when he saw that the dwarves recoiled in fear over the hand of their creator he realized they were lives and Eru said to Aule that he will allow the dwarves to come but he will not allow them to come before the firstborn of his creation even though he made 
the dwarves. The dwarves would have to wait to come to life until after the elves had come, because the elves were the firstborn of Eru's will. So the dwarves, the seven fathers of the dwarves, fell asleep and laid in sleep under the earth until the coming of elves and men. When they saw this, Yavanna, um, who was the goddess of nature and the creator of plant life, when she saw this and the dwarves, she was afraid that such reckless creatures would um, destroy her creations of plants and animals and would decimate nature because since they're men of handiwork, they would always be looking for resources and they would ravish and uh, they would ravage nature. She felt threatened, so she went to her husband, Manwe. Manwe, um, who is the king of the, the, Val, uh, the Valar, said that she should create some being that could protect the forests. She created the Ents, which were the living shepherds of the trees that we see in the Lord of the Rings. That's how the Ents came into being. During this time, Manwe also created the large great eagles, which were gigantic eagles that could soar across the world at lightning speed to be his servants and to carry out his handiwork. Melkor during this time continued to grow dark forces. Melkor actually escaped his imprisonment or was let out of his imprisonment and continued to wreak havoc on the world. But in secret, he went into hiding. He hid and he built his forces in secret. He took Maiar, the servants of the Valar, that were willing to serve him and corrupted them into fiery demons known as Balrogs. He bred the first dragons, created beasts and dark monsters. Varda created... Um, Varda... I'm sorry, I'm, I made a mistake earlier. Varda is actually the wife of Manwe. Varda creates stars to illuminate the darkness of the world. Uh, this is the time in which the elves come into being. Orome, the hunter, who is one of the Valar, meets the elves for the first time, and he's fascinated by them. The elves, you see, were the firstborn children of Eru. They were the first to witness the world that were, you know, uh, well, besides the Valar, they were the first born into the world to, you know, experience the beauty of nature. This is what all the work of creating the world has been for, is for these, uh, these elves. Some elves would wander off into the darkness by themselves. Melkor would capture them and corrupt their souls, torturing them until their souls became corrupted beyond recognition. These creatures were eventually known as orcs, and that is how the race of orcs came into being. The Valar went to war with Melkor to protect the elves, and they laid siege, and they won the battle. Melkor was placed in chains, but they don't actually 
conquer him, they simply imprison him. The elves are invited to live in Valinor, the land of the Valar, which is a protected land that the Valar hold, and they're invited to go there. Most of them go. They help, uh, the, the Valar help to the elves to cross the sea by moving islands and using them as ferries. The elves build a fantastic city and they plant trees. And there are two trees in the land of Valinor at that time. Uh, the two trees have names, but I don't remember them, uh, sadly. One is made of gold and one is made of silver. One shines like the day and the other shines like the night and these two trees are the light of the world and they there is no sun and there is no moon but there are stars these two trees are the light of the world and they provide all light that is known in the city of Valinor the elves came to prosper they built and they learned fantastic craftsmanship under Finway, who was the king of the elves at the time. And he had three sons named Feanor, Fingolfin, and Finarfin. But you will mention, we'll talk about those guys later. The elves make a wonderful, lustrous city and become incredibly skilled craftsmen. And there is an extended period of peace. This is probably the last time in the history of Middle-earth where there is not some type of underlying conflict. And during this time, Melkor is in chains. Feanor, the son of Finwë, king of the elves, is um, learning at this time craftsmanship. He's very important, so remember him. Melkor is brought before Manwe, or Manwe, and he's granted a pardon. He pretends like he regrets his decisions and he's reformed, but in his heart, there still lives scorn. He even teaches the elves some certain dark magic. Um, and during this time, Theonor creates the Silmarils, which are three gems that are the beauty of which has never been seen before and exceed everything else. These gems are so perfect and beautiful that they can never be recreated again for their perfection is too great and their beauty is above all things that have ever existed or ever will exist. And of course, being the uh, Satan figure that he is, Melkor wants the Silmarils. And because the Silmarils are so desirable, or no, they're so desirable because they contain some of the essence or the light of the two trees and because of that their radiant beauty is beyond anything ever known and this is when the men arrive so the men are called the second born of Eru because they arrived after the elves the elves were born first but the men were born second and the men appeared and they start living in um the world and at this time Melkor uses this to his advantage and he starts to manipulate some of the hearts of men and he even tries to corrupt some of the elves 
into talking some of the elves into hating the uh, the Valar because they never told them about the coming of mankind. And eventually, Feanor, of his own heart, becomes prideful and arrogant, and he thinks he's the true heir to the throne of the elves. And he gets um, all huff, huffy about it, I guess. And he eventually uh, threatens violence against some of the other elves. And he's banished from Valinor, but he takes the Silmarils with him. Now, this is important because they really, really want the Silmarils. Everybody wants to get their hands on the Silmarils. Um, at this time, Feanor also takes a lot of the elves back to Middle-earth, and they forsook the, the Holy Land of Valinor to go back to the world of the, uh, well, I guess you could call it this the, the, the normal world, I guess. Um, so they chase after Melkor because Melkor actually tries to follow him because they found out what Melkor was doing. They found out that Melkor was manipulating people's hearts. So they started chasing after Melkor. Um, they can't get him, though. And Melkor hides, and he meets something called Ungoliant. And Ungoliant is a spider. She, It's a she, and she is a gigantic, terrible spider that has no light about her and she actually eats light and she's made of darkness and she eats light and it is never mentioned how exactly Ungoliant came to being it's been suggested that she is a representation of evil and has existed since the beginning of the creation of the universe and she hasn't she wasn't actually created by anybody she's just always been there I really like that interpretation that that's just what some Tolkien scholars believe and Ungoliant allies with Melkor, but Melkor does not control Ungoliant. And they form an alliance and attack Valinor. Ung Ungoliant actually kills the two trees that provided all the light to the world and drinks their sap. Which means, of course, that Valinor is consumed by darkness. The only light left in the world are the stars that illuminate the... Uh, the rest of the... Excuse me. Uh, illuminate the rest of the world. But... It was an ambush, so as soon as they came in and attacked, they scampered off and fled. Yavanna tries to bring the trees back to life, but she can't do it. Because the trees have no light back in them. Their magic is dead, and the only remaining light of the two trees, the only part of them that's left, is living in the Silmarils. Feanor is living in exile from Valinor, but he's not actually in the realm of Middle-earth as we know it. He's not in the common world. He's still in the country of the Valar, but he's not in their city of Valinor. He is still on that same landmass, though. He hasn't... If you know the map of Middle-earth, you know what I'm talking about. He's still in the general vicinity. He's just not living in the city of Valinor anymore. Theonor refuses to give over the Silmarils because, you know, he wants them. Everybody wants them. 
but you know now the Valar want them more because it has the light of the trees there. Um, so their magic is gone, and now they can only get them back using the Silmarils. But Feanor uh, doesn't want to give them back, so you can see the conflict coming up here. Feanor actually uh, finds out that Melkor actually stole the Silmarils and killed his father Fenway. Uh, while Feanor wasn't uh, wasn't at his uh, residence, and because of this, uh, Feanor, Feanor curses Manwë, the king of the Valar, for letting this happen. He thinks that he just let it happen, and he also curses Melkor for doing such a terrible thing and stealing the greatest creation in the history of the world. Ungoliant and Melkor are never seen together again. Melkor goes to his old fortress and sets the Silmarils into a uh, crown of iron. Feanor is now the king of the elves, and he leads them out of Valinor because he is so upset at the uh, Valar. And from there, at that point onward, it gets into a long history of war and fighting between the different branches of elves. There's kinslayings, and the elves are fighting one another a lot. Uh, Feanor eventually dies. The Silmarils eventually become lost to the world and are never found again. One is set among the sea, one is set among the earth, and one is set among the stars. And they are never found again. And they're never held by anybody from the rest of the, earth, the world. Melkor actually has a second a, a lieutenant whose name is Sauron, and he used to be Amaya, uh, which is, you know, one of the servants of the uh, Valar, and he becomes the second Dark Lord, Sauron, and Sauron eventually uh, goes to the elves, and they forge 20 rings, uh, but there's also a 21, uh, there's, there's also one ring out of those 20 that controls uh, the mind of whoever is wearing the other 20 rings and he thinks he um is gonna secretly control all the leaders of all the races but his plot is discovered uh so and that one ring that controls all the others is the one ring from the lord of the rings it's the the titular the ring the lord of the ring and a lot of stuff happens uh fighting about this second or this ring Suffice it to say that um, at the end of the Second Age, Sauron has his ring uh, cut off from his hand with his finger cut off, and he no longer has the ring. And during this time, uh, the world sees an era of peace, but the entire time, Melkor is building his evil forces to uh, attack once more and find his ring, which is what happens at the end of the Third Age in is what we see in the Lord of the Rings. Uh, after the War of the Ring, there is the Fourth Age, which is what happens immediately after the Lord of the Rings, where Middle-earth uh, sees a time of peace and prosperity, and where the world lived in peace until the end of the days of Elves and Man. And that is an abbreviated history, albeit... Uh, kind of messy uh, history of Middle-earth and the history of the world that Tolkien built 
I hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. This this podcast, I'm I'm not gonna lie. When I started, or when I was thinking about doing this podcast earlier today, I was kind of scared of doing it because I thought I'm not gonna be able to explain it well enough, and it's kind of gonna be one of the a more boring episode, and people probably aren't gonna like it. But uh, I had people tell me that they wanted Tolkien Part Two, so you know if you um. If you enjoyed this podcast, go ahead and give me feedback. Um, if you have feedback for this episode or if you want to know or you want to suggest topics for future episodes, my email is uh, Gabe Talks About Things. It's the same name as the podcast at gmail.com. Go ahead and hit me up there with suggestions or topics or feedback uh, or just let me know that you listen to my show and that you enjoy it. Uh, I appreciate it. Um, and I thank you for, for choosing the list of my podcast. You had a choice and you chose me. So I thank you for listening to my podcast. I hope you have enjoyed this episode and I will see you guys in the next podcast. Thank you very much.